Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. I'm going to start a new series this morning on words. Um, our, our base scripture that we're going to, all of this is, is um, based on, is primarily um, one verse, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. And it's always amused me. There are a couple of verses that everybody knows, and, and, if you, and they'll know them well enough, they'll quote them. And this is one people quote all the time, and they always quote it wrong. Almost, it's rare that I ever hear someone quote this wrong. And what they will quote and say is, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And that's not how it reads. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who eat, who love it, will eat its fruit. And the reason I bring that up is, I believe the reason that death is, is listed before life is we are much more adept at the death side of this. We are trained from birth to flow in the negative. The, the, this whole world uh, in the New Testament, every, not every time, but a lot of times when you read the, the English word world, it's, it's a, a translation of the Greek word cosmos, which, you know, scientists use cosmos all the time. But in, in, in theology, the cosmos is not the physical globe, the round ball that we live on. That is the Greek word ge, G-E, where we get geology, geography, all of those words. And you find the, the, the Greek word ge in the New Testament several places. Cosmos is not the, the, the physical planet. It's the system. It's how things work. And from the time that Adam and Eve fell and God uh, brought the curse of the fall on the earth, this, this planet, this everything in here, life, the planet itself, has, has been affected by that curse of the fall. It's the reason our bodies are subject to sickness. It's the reason our bodies are, are we are subject to sin because we inherit the sin of Adam that's why the, all of the Old Testament is a patriarchal society. It's not that God dislikes women and He wants men to be in charge of everything. That's not the point. You go through the Old Testament, you'll see several ladies that were, were judges. Um, in fact, one of them, God commends them because this guy came to their tent and, and he was an enemy and he came with nefarious uh, intentions and she fed him I think it was warm milk and maybe something else mixed into it and when he fell asleep God commends her because she took a spike nail and she nailed his head to the 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 sand she killed him dead on a hammer so that was Deborah so the, God didn't set up the Old Testament as a patriarchal society because he exalts men over women. He did it to show us that our inheritance comes through the male line because that inheritance, the, the main reason is we inherit sin from Adam. It says that Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned. I, this is my personal belief. I wouldn't argue anybody over it. But I, I really do believe that when, when, when Eve took the bite of that fruit and disobeyed God, I believe that the reason that Genesis says that Adam and Eve were naked um, and without shame is I don't believe you, if you were there, if you had been there with your video camera and filmed them, I don't think you would have seen their bodies. I think they would have been as Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. The, the glory of God rested on them to the, to the extent that it would have with Jesus because they were filled with God's Spirit. They were, they were innocent. They were perfect. And they had the glory of God on them. And I believe when, when Eve took that fruit, the glory departed. And I think that's, and, and this is my personal theology, I think that's why Adam was held more responsible and it, it, in one way, it testifies of the love of Adam for Eve because Adam chose to stay with Eve and lose the glory 
rather than follow God and trust God to bring Eve back in the fold. And that is a sin. When, you, when, when your desire for a human being supersedes your desire to follow God, you're in dangerous territory. I don't care if it's a wife, a, a parent, a child. God has to reign supreme in all of our lives. And he, it, it, does not, you know, it does not matter what the sacrifice is. If we have a choice between following God and following something else, choose God. Amen? But a lot of what we see in our life, and, and it's part of the reason that um, we see bad things happen to good people, is because of the sin that's in the world. And the words that sinners, unbelievers, non-Christians are speaking and the acts that those words lead to. And then you have all of the Christians who really do have authority and power in their words. And they're speaking negative and they're speaking wrongly. And that all has an effect. It opens doors for the enemy to come in and attack. I used to, when I, when I taught biology, we would always teach the concept of a food chain. And food chains were very simple. You've got, you know, the sun shines on the grass, and the grass makes sugar, and it grows, and then you've got the herbivores that eat the grass, and, and they take that energy and make, make flesh, and then you've got the predators that eat the herbivores, and then at some point you have the apex predator who eats the other animals and then when that guy dies you've got the bacteria and the scavengers that consume them and it just keeps going in a circle and you teach that and and the kids say well yeah that's really simple and then you say yeah but that's not reality the reality is there's a food web and you don't just have you know a, a circle with six different organisms you've got a gazillion organisms and they are interwoven like threads in you know in, in philosophy you have the the tail of the gordian knot that some god said if you can untie this knot then i'll give you everything you want and nobody could do it it's too complicated if you've ever tied your shoe and got it into a knot there are times when those things will get so tight I've had times where I just took the scissors and cut the stupid thing to get my shoe off and replace the shoestring because it was too much trouble. Well, you can imagine that with a knot that's the size of a baseball and got 15 different strings in it. We'll multiply that by a couple of million and you get into how life really works because my life intersects your life and your life intersects someone else's life and all of those lives and all of the things that we say interact and interplay in everything that happens around us. I used it as an example several weeks ago. Um, Carrollton, Kentucky, you go down there today uh, on the interstate, I-71, runs from Louisville to Cincinnati. There is a big sign there where a church bus, it was a school bus, yellow school bus, but they had gone to Cincinnati, they were coming home, they'd, the kids had played all day, and unfortunately, they, as the habit is for a lot of people, they stacked coolers right in front of the emergency door in the back. And they did it because they weren't going to have an emergency. And a guy got on the interstate, I think when they tested his blood, his blood alcohol was like, 2.7 or something. It was amazing he could even steer a, a vehicle. But he got on, he took the wrong ramp. And he got on going against traffic and he hit that bus at the front door. Ruptured their fuel tank, which started a fire. You couldn't get out the front door because it smashed in and has a truck embedded in it. You couldn't get out the back door because all of the um, uh, coolers were stacked up at the emergency back door and there were only one or two kids that were able to kick out windows and crawl out. Fifty some odd kids and adults died in that bus that night. Why in the world would God let that happen? Because God is tied. And I know this, this, this goes against a lot of people's theology because God is sovereign. But God has seeded us as humans and us as Christians in particular with the power to choose. 
And sometimes people make horrible, stupid choices. And good people pay the price. And that's, that, that's the essence that our words have power. Whether you think they do or not. In fact, Jesus said in the Gospels that every idle word will be held accounted for. He's going to judge our words. In fact, part of it in that passage, it says that he will remember our sins no more. When he forgives us, it says he, I don't believe that means that he lost his memory. Because I've heard people say, you know, use the illustration, well, I brought something up to the Lord that I had sinned and then asked forgiveness, and the Lord said, well, I don't remember that. Well, God, God is aware of every fact of our lives. But what He does is, it, it, and I, I like to think of it as computers, there is active memory and then there's memory sometimes that gets set aside and you have to have a special code to access that. And if you don't have the password to get in, you're not getting in. Well, God take, when we become Christians, God takes our sin and He puts it over in the part of the memory and says, only I can access this and I choose not to. And, but it doesn't mean that we still are not subject to the words that we say. In fact, let's, we're, we're there in Proverbs 18. Back up to verse 20. Because this sets a little context and I, I do want to say, I'm barely going to get this introduced today. So we're, I'm, I want to get a good introduction, but at the same time, I'm not even sure I'll get it all introduced. Proverbs 18, verse 20 says, A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Verse 22 almost seems kind of oddly out of place. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, God just spent two verses, four stanzas, talking about what we talk about and how that will satisfy us and, and we'll eat the fruit of that. And then he says, if you find a man, if you find a wife, you find a good thing and you've obtained my favor. What in the world has that got to do with the former? Well, I think, first of all, it's a fact. If you, if you are a man and you find a wife, you found a good thing. It's a good thing to confess over your wives, gentlemen. She is a good thing. And you've obtained favor from the Lord. But I think the broader hint that, that Solomon is giving us here is where these words are most effective and have the greatest effect is in our relationships. There, our words will, can heal or wound, and they always heal or wound primarily in relationships that we have with other people. And if you're, if you're more than three years old, you have experienced that. And, and usually, and the, I, this is part of the reason I think verse 21 lists death first. If I have the, the, the very definite, definitive conversations that I have from years ago that I can call up in a heartbeat and I remember the scene, I remember who I'm talking to, I remember how I felt, I remember where, where I was, almost exclusively those are a, either very bad situations or very good situations, but the bad probably, that in my memory, I, the bad probably outweigh the, the, the good 10 to 1. Because the, the evil words, the words that brought death and, and destruction to my life, those hurt, and I remember them. There are a few that they're very good, and I remember those situations. And my wife will tell, testify, I'm not a detail person. You know, if I have a meeting or I talk to somebody and I come home and she'll say, well, what did they say? And I'll give her a five, ten second answer that covers a 45-minute to an hour conversation, and I've summed it all up in 10 to 15 seconds. 
And she'll look at me and I know the questions are about to come because she wants details and I don't have any details. In fact, sometimes after four or five minutes, I just have to get frustrated and say, look, you're asking questions I don't know. Next time I'm taking the record setting on my phone and I'm recording the whole conversation, you can listen to it and you can tell me what I said. (laughs) I remember the high points, I don't remember the details. But there are some conversations, I remember them. Oh, I remember them in detail. Now, unfortunately, let me throw this out. Sometimes what I remember is not actually what happened. (laughs) That happens too. I remember I had a a, a pastor, uh, I served under him, and he was dealing with a senior pastor and an associate pastor that had a conflict, and it literally split the church over this conflict. And they had a meeting, and the meeting was where everything erupted, and they split and he's counseling with both of them. And he came in after talking to the two of them separately, and he came in my office just rubbing his head. <laughs> and I said, Mike, what's the matter? He said, my Lord. He said, these two people were in the same room at the same time and talked to one another, and neither one of them have. The conversations they remember could not possibly have happened. Because they each remembered the other one saying other things and their their remembrance of the situation was not the same. And yet, I'm sure there was truth in the middle, but they remembered how they remembered it and both of them remembered it very negatively to the point where they broke fellowship, split a church, harm was done. Words are important. I've said all that and I know I've gone on and on. But words are vital. They're critical to our life. They literally, when it comes down to it, your life is shaped by the words that you have said. Not someone else. We're really quick, especially, let me go back to verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Especially in husband and wife relationships. You ask me, when, if Gina and I are having, we're fussing and fighting, you ask me what's the problem, I'll tell you straight up. She's the problem. Because it's not me. I'm sweet as I can be. I would never say anything or do anything. Now, she's more honest. She'll admit that she has some faults, and I have some faults. But, and I, I'm exaggerating a bit here. But literally, we are really quick to assign blame for our problems, relational problems, on the other party. It's the other party that's at fault. And the, 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 the less you know them and the less you are committed to them, the quicker you are to assign all the blame to their side and not to your side. In a husband and wife relationship, it's pretty easy. I've learned over 37 years that it's both of us. And primarily, from my perspective, it's me. It's me and my mouth. That's the problem. In fact, I go back to this, but that is my Father's 12th commandment. Shut thy mouth. And if, if I'm just telling you, if we, would, if we would obey that commandment, especially when you get angry, you feel, you feel something right, and we all, you've all felt it. You feel it, it's coming up. If you would just shut up at that point, especially if you give these magic words. I know I shouldn't say this. And that's almost always found or followed by, but. And then you say what you just admitted you should not say. If we would get to the end of that and this bright light would come on and say, oh, I really shouldn't say that. And then not say it. We'd be, we'd be far better off. Now, part of the reason we see this, go to Hebrews chapter 11. And I've, I've done this before, but I want to give you a couple of examples of how this works. Hebrews chapter 11, we're look, going to look at the first uh, three verses. And this is talking about faith, because we're, we're going to see, uh, if, if I don't keep waxing long, we'll get to eventually Romans chapter 10, where Paul talks about our faith and our words. But we need to, chapter 11 is the heroes of faith. But he says Paul, or I I believe it's Paul, or somebody that was strongly influenced by Paul wrote Hebrews. Verse 1 says, Now faith 
is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We are to live our lives by faith. Paul said in Romans that the just shall live by faith. This is how we have to live our lives. Verse 2 says, for by it, by what? By faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds, plural, if that meant the earth, you would have the Greek word G, G-E. If it meant the world system, you would have the Greek word cosmos. Instead, you have the Greek word aeon here, which almost anywhere else in the New Testament is translated ages. And so I translated in my head ages. It says, by faith we understand that the ages... What ages are we talking about? <coughs> Specifically, the ages of each of these elders that he's about to list. The ages that they lived in were framed or set in order by the Word of God so that the things which were seen were not made of things which are visible. In other words, God took and spoke a word to each of these elders. And they took that one word from God. And sometimes, especially with the Old Testament saints, they didn't, it wasn't an everyday thing that God spoke to them. You have to remember, they were not saved. They were not filled with the Holy Spirit. They had a much harder time hearing God and discerning the will of the Lord than we do. But they still, when they heard, they took that, they put faith in what God said to them, and they framed the rest of their life on that word. <clears throat> we have a great example. Go to Ezekiel, and this is a very, Ezekiel 37. It's a very uh, familiar scripture. This is the passage where... Um, God is telling Ezekiel to, to speak to the dry bones. And this is specifically, we have seen this particular scripture manifest in our lifetime. In 1947, Israel in a day became a nation and it had not been a nation for 3,000 years. And God is bringing Jews from all over the planet back to Israel. That is a manifestation of what Ezekiel prophesied. But the principles that God uses here for Ezekiel to prophesy an event that was not going to happen for thousands of years after his life, which is another thing you have to understand, sometimes faith takes time. There's a time lag between when you declare it and when it happens. That's why in Hebrews it says that it's through faith and patience that the word is established. We can have faith, but if you don't have patience, and by patience it doesn't mean you sit down and you just wait and wait, God, are you ever going to do anything? No, it means that you continue in faith, and you continue in faith, and sometimes you have to get up and read that same word, remind yourself of what the word was that you had a revelation of, and say, get, get your brain back in line here. And when you, when you set your faith down, you have to go and say, Lord, I know you, I, you showed me that this was for me, I've let it go. Forgive me. Get that under the blood and then get back in faith. It's, it, that's just how it works. It's like, and we all know this. When you first learn to drive, you tend to go from ditch to ditch to ditch to ditch. And, you know, it's like uh, uh, Matt and Tiff's pastor put a thing on Facebook, it was a questionnaire. He said, how, and I forget, he said it in a very cute way, but basically his question was, how in the world do you have you people that have been through this experience ever teach your kids how to drive? Because he's going through the business of teaching his daughter how to drive. And I thought back to my father. It was real easy. He put us on that little old 55 Ford tractor and put it in second gear and said, Go. And you're creeping along at two miles an hour and you steer it and you learn on something that goes really slow. He didn't put us in the car that we, we really wish he'd have kept, which was a 67 Plymouth Fury that had a 440 Hemi in it, which would, it would clock out at 130, 140 miles an hour. That car got sold three days after my older brother got his driver's license. And we were shocked and dismayed. Because we were looking forward to taking that car out on the road. And Dad knew two teenage boys out on the road with that kind of car, 
equals death. <laughs> so he sold it, bought a 68 Plymouth Fury that was a good eight, 900 pounds heavier and had a 302 two barrel. When you pushed it all the way to the floor of the gas pedal, it said, okay, give me a minute, I'll try. <laughs> but the, our faith has to frame our world. If we're not framing our world by what we're saying and what we're believing for, then we're just going wherever the world takes us. We're drifting. Ezekiel's the perfect example. Ezekiel 37, let's start in verse 1. It says, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. It was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Well, that's the first key right there. When God asks you a question, be honest with your answer. I had to go give a deposition for this shooting that I was a witness to last Friday. And before we went in, the prosecutor pulled me aside and he said, just answer the questions. Don't give any extra detail. Answer what they ask you. Don't add to it. If you don't know it, say, I don't know. Great advice. It's exactly what Ezekiel did to God here. God said, uh, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, basically, what his answer when he said, Lord God, you know, it's like, I don't know, you tell me. But here's the key. The first thing that Ezekiel had to do, he had to hear from God. Now, the great part about this, Ezekiel had to, God had to take him out and um, brought him out in the spirit. In other words, God had to do a supernatural manifestation with Ezekiel to get him to understand what it was he wanted Ezekiel to do. For us, we have the revelation of God in the Bible. We don't have to get special revelation. We can start in Matthew, for us as Christians, primarily Matthew through the book of Revelation, and get words for us that will we'll deal with every situation in our life. And it's, it's not like we have to pray and pray and, God, I need, I need to see an angel. I need to have an angel come down and speak to me. And I know God sometimes, I, I know He doesn't do it, but I visualize Him up there just smacking His head and saying, can you just open the book and read it? Your answers are there. And, and you know, it's one thing if all we had was the old King James. I'll be honest with you, I don't ever read from the old King James. I use it to look things up in a concordance because when I remember verses, I remember them primarily in the old King James. But if I really want to understand them, I get a modern translation. I primarily will, will preach and I read out of the New King James because I think it's one of the more accurate ones. The, the um, um, no, that's the new inspir or no inspiration version. Um, the... The AV. What's AV stand for? Authorized version. It, it's it's by um, I forget the guy's name. It's very hard to read. It's it, it it doesn't read nearly as poetically as the King James, but it is the closest to the actual actual Greek structure for the sentences. It's very accurate, but it's also a little hard to read. And I'll read. I'll study out all of those, but then I'll go to something like the Message or the Passion or the New Living Translation, or the NIV. I joke about NIV standing for no inspiration version because some of the, the guys on the NIV council uh, really didn't believe much about what they were translating. And you will see the, the prejudices of the translators come out in every translation. That's why it's good to go read a bunch of different translations. You'll get the essence of it. But we have to hear from heaven. That's the first step. Back in Hebrews 11, when it says the elders obtained a good testimony, they did that after they heard from God. Then they based what they, how they lived on what they heard. That's exactly what we see with, with Ezekiel here. He, first thing, in verse 3, he heard from God. Verse 4, again, he said to me, speaking, God speaking to Ezekiel, 
prophesy to these bones. Say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the, the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Now this is a supernatural event here. And if you're there and you're seeing bones come together and start clumping up and then flesh starting to come on them and then skin coming on them, it not only is supernatural, it might be a little spooky natural. But we want the supernatural, we don't necessarily want to look for the spooky natural. Most people only think that it's supernatural when it's kind of spooky. But sometimes the supernatural is very ordinary in its appearance. And don't, don't miss it, miss God, because you think, well, this couldn't be God, because it's just, I just had that thought myself. Really? Does it line up with Scripture? I remember, and I'll use Gina as an example, because I don't mind embarrassing her. Um, I remember her saying one time, and I had heard it several times, but she said it to one of, one of our friends. They were saying, well, God said this to me. Well, Christians say that, make, use that phrase all the time. And usually when they say it, they mean I've got this impression that this is what God wants to do. They're not actually hearing an audible voice. And Gina said to her friend, she said, I don't hear the voice of God. And the friend looked at her and said, are you crazy? I hear you constantly quoting scripture. A situation will come up and you'll go and, and give a scripture that covers that situation. That is exactly how God speaks. You're using his voice. In Gina's mind, it was like, well, if I'm hearing from God, I'm going to get goosebumps. I'm going to have that Pentecostal shake. You know, I'm going to get a little light on my feet and maybe not, you know, get a little dizzy, a little drunk in the spirit. And instead, when God would speak to her, he would speak to her by saying, giving her a scripture. Most accurate voice of God you will ever hear is when He quotes the Bible to you. That's His written word. That's our guide. In fact, if you get a word that gives you goosebumps, and I'm not opposed to goosebumps. I love it when that stuff happens. But if you get a goosebumpy word, you better take that word and go to the written word and measure that spooky natural word against the written word. And if it does not line up, you forget the spooky natural word. Amen? Because it's that written word that keeps us grounded. Ezekiel had the word, but notice what God said. And I'm going to back this up and emphasize it. Verse 5. This is what Ezekiel was supposed to do. Well, verse 4. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. When we prophesy, and if you go just look up the definition for that word, prophesy, it, it, the, the most common definition is foreknowledge, to foretell. This is what's going to happen. And I've been in meetings with so-called, and I use the term so-called, prophets. And they are going to foretell something about you, and they get into details about your life. You're going to get a blue car, you're going to get this, you're going to get that, you're going to do this, you're going you're to see this in your life. That can happen. There are prophets in the land. There are prophets in the New Testament church. But for the most part, God doesn't use prophets to foretell our future. He tells us to be a prophet in my own life. In fact, in, in, in um, um, I think it's the, the book of John, he says that when the Holy Spirit comes, He will show you things to come. That is part of the function of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians. Well, what's He showing? Is He going to show me what's going to happen in Bill's life? Is He going to show me what happens in Dean or Sherry's life? Well, as a pastor of the church, that might occur occasionally if there, there's something really important coming up and they're not listening. He may give me a word for somebody. But the primary function of of the Holy Spirit showing me things to come, is He telling me, this is the direction I want you to go in your life. And I want you to prophesy to that and foretell that by faith because I've given you a revelation and I've spoke to you, this is the path for your life. Now you declare it before you get there. 
perfect example. We just prayed over a whole bunch of people for healing. That is foretelling the future. That is declaring by faith. Your word says that by his stripes we are healed. If we were healed when Jesus came out of the grave, then I'm foretelling that this individual is healed now even though they're not healed. They're sick as a dog. They're in the hospital. They may be on death's door. But I'm foretelling their healing. I'm prophesying to their dead bones. And it doesn't just have to be for another individual. I can have a relationship that's broken, dead. It's been broken by words. And I have a few of those in my past. I have some family members. They won't talk to me. Literally, they've cut me off. And some of it is their words, some of it is my words, some of it's a, most of it's a combination of the two. And in one situation, it's because I am a Christian. They're intimidated by my faith. And when, when they get around me, all they see is condemnation. You're going to heaven, I'm going to hell. I don't want to be around you anymore. And they have attacked me verbally, physically, a lot of different ways. And the relationship's broken. The only way from my side that that can ever be healed, and I have done this part, and I, I, I heard Robert Morris say this, and I'm going to get the phrase wrong now, because it's seven magic words. I was wrong. Please forgive me. And I have written, uh, some of it at times I've had situations where I couldn't go to them face to face. Because I knew it would, there was a good potential it's going to get violent again. And I'm too old to be fighting. And, I, and one of these within the last couple of years. Somebody physically attacked me and my family. And they were just upset and primarily. In fact, in, in the midst of it, once I got physically away from them and told them, you got two choices. Leave or you'll force me to pick up a pipe and defend myself or I'll call the police. That's your choices. And as they're leaving, they're yelling at me, just go on and cuss. You know you want to. It's like, no, I don't. I used to cuss like a sailor, but that's not in me anymore. The person you're remembering was when I was a kid and I wasn't saved. Now I'm saved and I'm, I, that's not me anymore. I wrote a letter and said, please forgive me for my part of that. I want our relationship restored. I've called, I've written letters, I can't, they won't talk to me. The only thing I've got left is I have to prophesy to that situation. I have to declare that situation is going to be healed in the name of Jesus because I know it's God's will for it to be healed. Then I have to let God deal with them and take my hands off of it. Every situation that we're standing on in faith, we have to get the word of the Lord on it and then prophesy it and then let it go. Our words have creative power, but only when we're speaking God's word through our mouth. My words, the creative power of my words, about the only creative power that my words have from me is death. I can create death real quick. That's why the 12th commandment is very important, because I can destroy more more quickly than I can heal with the same mouth. So I have to be careful because if I'm speaking out of my heart and out of my flesh in particular, I can, I can speak words of death where if I'm speaking God's words because it's His words, not because it's mine. His power of life is, in, is contained in those words. It was enough for Ezekiel that these bones started coming together. But now look at verse um, 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Sometimes when we prophesy, we'll get the form, but there's no life in it. And sometimes when we get the form, we think, that's it, I got it, 
I'll see the body. I'm done. No, you have to keep prophesying even after you, just because you have the form doesn't mean it has life. That's why uh, I think it's Peter talks about, you know, there are those, and he's talking about churches in general, there are churches out there that are like rain clouds or like clouds without rain. You know, I've, there's been a several times I've watched, I, I've just given up on listening to meteorologists. I want a job where I can be wrong more than half the time and be considered a genius. The only thing better than that is being a professional baseball player. If you hit, if you, if you miss six out of ten times, they consider you the best hitter in the world. You know, of course, the realization is if you put me up against a big league pitcher, it's going to be zero for ten. But anyway, it's just because we have the form, and it talks about churches that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. There are a lot of people out there, and you'll read about them, you'll see about them. I'm a Christian. Well, do you believe in Jesus? No, not, not, not in the way you do. He was a good man, and he had some good moral lessons, and I'm a Christ follower. Well, I'm not a Christ follower. I am a Christian, meaning I have been changed on the inside, and he's living in me, and I'm doing my best to cooperate with him. But if I'm really going to order my life, I've got to say some things. I have to let him have my mouth. Then we, we, we get to verse um, 9. Then God followed this up. He's got the bones, he's got the flesh, he's got the skin. This, this being is standing in front of him. And in verse 9 it says, Also he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. So we have the pattern right here. We hear, we speak, God does it, and life comes. That's the pattern that, that Ezekiel sets for us in every situation we've got. We need to quit speaking death, start speaking life, because we're doing one or the other every time we open our mouth. Now, go to James chapter 1, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to read through. I'm going to start at verse 1 and just read it quickly. We're, we're heading to verse 26 and 27, but I, it, I want to set, um, set the tone or set the context before we get there. James chapter 1. Verse 1, James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Basically, that's an act of faith. That count it all joy means it's an accounting firm. Everything that in my life right now, I'm having various trials, and they all add up to credit, 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 credit. And I have to say, no, they're a debit, 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 and I'll probably reverse those because... My bookkeeping skills are wanting anymore. But he's saying, take, take it by faith. I don't care what the situation is, it's going to come to my good. It's, I'm going, declaring that it's going to work out in my favor. may not look like it, but it's going to. I do this because I knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, that means mature, Mature and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to you. So again, we're depending on God. Verse 6, But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything for the Lord, from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Part of what this reminds me of is the life of Jacob. Jacob is one of the few Old Testament characters where you see him named. Jacob means swindler, usurper. Literally, it means heel grabber. But he stole, he lied, he connived. He, was, he, was a, he would have been a master used car salesman. But when he came back from, from getting Rachel and Leah and having children and he was rich and he came back in, he knew he had to face Esau. And he was scared because he knew Esau was going to be a great man 
And before he came to the river to go into the territory that Esau had, it says that he wrestled with God. And at the very end, he said, I'm not going to let you go until you speak a blessing on me. And God said to him, your name is now Israel, which means one who contends with God or one who wrestles with God. Now, if you go back and look at the life of Abram, Abram was Abram and then he was Abraham. Sarai was Sarai until God renamed her. And from that point on, she was always referred to as Sarah. You look at Jacob, he's referred to as Jacob. God changed his name to Israel. And then in the next few verses, you will see it switched back, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Jacob one time, Israel the next time. Jacob one time, Israel the next time. What is the deal? Why is he not, why is he not always referred to Israel after that point? Because he still had, even though he, God looked at him and said, you're Israel, he still had some Jacob in him. Verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. In other words, God don't change. If you've got situations that are changing, it's because of you. Verse 18, Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is the key. We have to receive the implanted word. Because what God's called us to do is mimic Ezekiel, receive the word and then speak the word over the situations as they come up. But notice what he says, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Just because you have heard it doesn't mean that it's active. It only becomes active when you do what he tells you to do. Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer, of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that's the Bible, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now this is the key, verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he's religious, that word religious there means the externals of divine service. It means what you are doing in response to what God's, the assignment that God has given you. And the reason I say that is, I have said it in the past, I've heard many people say it, I don't want religion, I want to know what God wants. Well, what God wants needs to be reflected in your religious service, your outward external service to God. That's all he's saying here. If anyone thinks he is religious but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, <coughs> this one's religion is useless. You can say you believe, you can actually believe. You can actually, to, a, to a, a degree, be walking in faith. But if what you are believing doesn't affect your tongue, if you are not bridling your tongue, and quite literally the word for bridle there means to lead from the mouth. Now we think of that as a horse. We used to have a horse growing up on our farm. He was an old jug-headed mule. But we had to use a, a um, curved bit. Our, our little mare, you put a straight bit in her mouth because she had a tender mouth and you pulled just a little bit and she would go. 
long as she wanted to go. Him, we had a bit that it went in straight, and then it had a big loop in it. And when you pulled back on that thing, it dug into the roof of his mouth, and it's the only way you could control him. He had a will of his own. He loved to run. I swear that horse, if you'd have just cut him loose and let him go, he'd have run till he died. He'd have burst his heart. He just loved to run. And of course, his boys were like, yeah, let's get him out on that rock road and let's go. I'll let him run. Tell him, where's me out? We are just as stubborn, if not more stubborn than that. We want to run. We want to run our way and, and, and with our will. And God says, you need to put a bridle on your mouth. And bridle yourself. And control how you speak. Because if you don't, your external divine service is going to be useless. Verse 27, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. He uses this as an example of external divine service as you minister to people that have nothing to give back to you. If we, we decide to, to go out to eat, I go out with Ronnie. And I know Ronnie's loaded. Man, he has got some bucks. So I'm going to be complimentary to Ronnie. I'm going to speak well of Ronnie. Why? Maybe Ronnie will pick up the check and I won't have to. That's what he's talking about. You, you, you do service to people that can't... The best or the, the, the most gracious service... Religious services to help people that have no ability to bless you back. Then you know your, your motives are pure. You don't do it to get something. You do it because God's directed me to do this. Amen? Now, let's jump forward to James chapter 2, verse 17. Because I need to finish this up really quickly. James 2.17 says, Thus also faith by itself. He's talking about faith versus works. And James says, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Literally, the word there for dead means a corpse. And I, as soon as I read that, I thought of Ezekiel's bones. God said, prophesy to these bones. And he heard a rattle and he saw the bones come together. And then he saw flesh come on them. Then he saw skin coming on them. And there was a man standing there and he had no life. That's what James is saying. If you have faith, but it doesn't affect how you live, then it's just a corpse. I thought of, and I, 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 I was, I hesitate to even say this, but this is again going back to Facebook. Saw somebody, actually it was one of my nephews who likes to dig into Christians. He posted this article about these two couples that were swingers. They go to parties and they, you know, different guys and wives pair up. It's free love. But this, these two couples, by their admission, believe me, I don't, God didn't claim them, but by their claim, we're Christians and we're ministering the gospel by swinging. And I thought, I just, I grabbed my head because it was going to explode. If I didn't hold it real tight, I knew. I'm just going to be dead. Gina's going to come home and... My head will be, my brains will be everywhere because my head exploded. And, and I commented, and, and what I commented on this thing was, they can call themselves Christians. I can stand in my garage and go vroom, vroom. Doesn't make me a car. I can go live in a barn and eat hay. Doesn't make me a horse. I can call myself a Christian, but if my Christianity hasn't resulted in a transformed life, it's just a corpse. And the primary way I do that, because James has said this and he's going to say it even stronger here in a few minutes, you do it by what you say, how you talk. Verse 18, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is just a corpse? It's dead. That's what we're talking about. Now let me, let me sum this up because I've got another 30 minutes of background that I want to throw and I don't have 30 minutes. Let me just say this though. 
going back to Proverbs 18, death and life is in the power of the tongue. But it, it is very important that we don't take that verse and construe that verse to mean that I need to become the word police. And if I hear you say something, you make a bad faith confession, then I need to correct you. Or, as I, I've, I've had people say, um, I've heard this illustration, you know, you came up to a guy and his nose is running, you can see it, it's all red, he's gone to the, you know, the puffs with lotion because the regular Kleenex just, his nose can't take it anymore, stuff's just running out of his head, he's blowing his nose, he's coughing, it's obvious he is sick. Brother, are you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm not sick. It's like, yeah, I think you are. No, I'm not. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. And he won't confess that he's sick. And he thinks confessing that some obvious symptom in his body that it doesn't exist is faith. And that's not faith. Faith never denies the obvious condition. Faith declares that God's truth is more powerful than the situation. And I will change the situation by agreeing with what God says about the situation. And I will prophesy that this is going to be transformed into this. In this case, I have a head cold. I got more stuff running out of me than I thought was humanly possible. But by His stripes I am healed. And I will walk in health, bless God. And I'm going to confess it until I see it. And let me, let me do this because, you know, we have a, a big denomination in our state that says, if you're in faith, you won't go to a doctor. If your faith is in not going to the doctor, your faith is not in the Word. I don't put my faith in not going to the doctor. I don't put my faith in not taking the medicine. I put my faith in God. And if I'm having a hard time receiving, you better believe I'm going to go see the doctor. And I'll get some medicine to help. My, my experience, I worked for over a year in a hospital when we were at Rama, And I was a clerk. The commitment that I saw out of the medical doctors was much stronger than about half the Christians I knew. They were committed to getting people well. Now, all of their means were natural means. But they were committed. They were sold out. Now, what was great was, when I needed to go to the doctor, I went to the city of faith. It was still in existence back then. And you walked in before you ever saw the doctor, you saw a prayer partner. And he came in and asked you what your symptoms were, and he prayed for you. And the doctor came in, and the doctor examined you, and he said, I think this is what's going on, and I think this will help you, but before we go, I'm going to pray for you. And the doctor would lay hands on you and pray for you. And then he'd give you a prescription, and you go down. In fact, I went through all this. I got to messing with some chemicals at the furniture store I was working at, and I had a reaction to those chemicals and broke out in hives. I mean, I was just one big whelp walking around. <clears throat> and the prayer partner prayed for me. The doctor prayed for me. He gave me a prescription for a huge dose of Benadryl. He said, go down to the pharmacy and get this filled. It'll be free. And I went down there. The pharmacist took my prescription. He filled the prescription. He came back out and he said, here's your prescription. Can I pray over your medicine with you? I said, yes, sir, you can. I'll lay hands. You lay hands. We prayed over the medicine. That's how you work with a doctor. You pray for him. I'll never forget, Bill was going to have uh, neck surgery. We were at Ortho Indy up north. And one of the two doctors, one doctor came in. Bill, bold. Can we pray for you? Yes, sir. We all joined hands. The doctor joined hands with us. Man, that guy I want, that's a, if I got to have surgery, that's the guy I want doing cutting on me. He's not only doing his best with his natural skills, but he's believing God. The, the cardiologist that put the stents in Gina's heart, he came out to tell us the results of doing all that. He said, I prayed through that whole procedure. He told us later, he said, I normally all I see of a patient is their groin because he goes up through the femoral artery. He said, I see their groin and I see the screen in front of me to, to watch the catheter. He said, your face is burned into my brain. I would know you anywhere. Because you scared me as bad as I've ever been scared. He said it was like jumping out of an airplane and you realize, oh, I don't have to put my parachute on. 
and you got 15, 20 seconds, put that parachute on, pull the ripcord, or you're dead. And he said, I was, it was that kind of situation. But he said, I was praying as well as using his skill. That's what God's called us to do. We are to use our words. But we also have to realize it's not just my responsibility. The word has the creative power. When I agree with his word and speak his word, then that power gets manifest. But it's not me. It's not all, all the responsibility doesn't lay on my shoulders. I have to trust him. I have to say, God, this is an impossible. Can you imagine what Ezekiel thought? This is a field where a battle happened. And in ancient times, they not just ancient times, other than modern times, when they had battles, they'd come in and they'd bury the dead in very shallow graves. Next time it rained, the, the, the bodies may have putrefied and, and be gone, but the bones were still there and the bones would come up and they'd have fields that were full of bones. That's what Ezekiel saw and God said, prophesy that those bones come together. I'm, if I'm Ezekiel, I'm thinking, that's a little bit beyond my pay grade, God. And I know God would have said, you're right, but do it anyway. Because we look at situations and God says, I can heal that. And we're thinking, I can't be healed. The only way it can't be healed is if you refuse to do what God told you to do. Or you refuse to walk in forgiveness. That's a big short circuit for a lot of us. That's why the seven most powerful words, I was wrong please forgive me. And the six words that'll never get it, and I think this is phrased right. If it's not, I got the phrase wrong. I think I need to ask your forgiveness. Well, then do it. <laughs> Don't tell someone I need to ask you to forgive me. Just ask them, will you please forgive me? Don't announce it. Just say it. Look, I wronged you. Forgive me, please. That works. It works all the time. And even if, if in a particular situation, asking for forgiveness or saying, admitting that you were wrong doesn't work, that at least gives God something to work on. And I'll, I will finish definitely with this one. Go back and read the story of where Paul held the coats when they stoned Stephen. Literally, that means when it says Paul held the coats, he was the prosecuting attorney against Stephen. And when they were stoning Stephen, Stephen said, forgive them, Lord. He quoted, he, he did the same thing Jesus did. They don't know what they're doing. That prayer of Stephen gave God an opening to deal with Paul. And then just a few months later, Paul's walking down the road to Damascus because Stephen did not hold that sin against Paul. God could deal with Paul. Now for Paul, it took him knocking him off a donkey and blinding him temporarily. But he got through to him. Became the greatest apostle that's ever lived. Wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. Had more revelation than any human being I know of other than Jesus. Why? Because Stephen forgave him. Now, I'm not sure that God wouldn't have dealt with Paul, or if he couldn't have dealt with Paul, he'd have raised up someone else. But Stephen's prayer of forgiveness gave God an opening to deal with Paul. We cannot hold anything against someone who's harmed us. Paul was trying, not trying. He killed Stephen. And yet Stephen said, I'm not holding it against him. And God said, okay, I'll get on him. Forgiveness is one of the most powerful tools in the world. This is an example of what he just preached about. But that situation with me and the cardiac arrest, John's on, after Kathy had called him and told him, we were at BJ's restaurant in the restroom, that I had passed out and that they'd already called 911 and he needed to get there as soon as possible. He's on the way driving and going pretty fast, and he's asking the Lord what I need a word for this situation. 
I mean, does he not know any scriptures? Yeah, he knows some. But he wants to know what God's word for that situation is now. What do I, what do I speak into this situation? What he was just talking about, prophesying, God gave him a word, and that's exactly what he did. He prophesied over me, God's word. In Jeremiah 1.12, it tells you that God watches over his word. He's not watching over your words that you're saying, but if you fill your mouth with his word, he backs it up. And the Lord gave him that scripture, and he didn't even remember where it was, but he knew the scripture. And he had to wait till he got to the hospital to or to a point when he had some time to look it up. But that scripture was, you shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Now, he'd heard that scripture. He'd probably read that scripture. That scripture was already in him to the point where he heard that. He knew the word he just didn't maybe remember where it was, and then he looked that up. That's why you've got to put the word in you. God cannot bring anything to your mind to say in any situation that you find yourself in, which usually those things take you by surprise. And you have to have something in there for God to bring to your mind. For God to, because he didn't hear an audible voice, he heard it in his spirit. Within his spirit, his spirit illuminated his mind, and his mind came the thought of that verse. And then he started saying it. When he got to BJ's, the security, the policeman, would not let him come over to me. He said, but I'm her husband. But they would not let him come over there. So he yelled it over to me. Now, he was speaking to my spirit. My body was checked out, but my spirit was alive unto God. And my spirit heard him. You do not realize how powerful your words are. Your words, that word that day that John took and put in his mouth and prophesied it to me came to pass because God got in agreement with what he said and he watched over it to perform it. We're no different than you. You can do the same thing. Prophesy what you want to see, and you will see it. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCC. Indianapolis.com